see if this works. Hey, it did. Uh, I can't see nothing on my screen, but it worked to change it, so that's good. Um, we're going to start a new series this morning. And, and, and Diane, forgive me because the series title doesn't really make sense, so I haven't used it much. Uh, I guess technically I should call it That's Mine, but I'm calling it That's My. And when you say That's My, you're supposed to finish it with something. Well, every week I'm going to finish it with something. In a few moments, I'm going to talk about That's My Promise this morning. And then next Sunday, I'm going to talk about That's My Palm. And then on Good Friday, we're going to talk about That's My Scar. Now, I got to tell you, just got to give you a little humor here this morning. Some of you saw on Facebook, I set up an event for our healing service, That's My Scar, and I called it healing service, but then uh, I made a slide, something like this, to put a picture on there, and my sister-in-law called me, and she said, what are you trying to say? I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, well, it says healing service, but the picture says in all kinds of fancy lists, that's my scare. What, what are you talking about? And I looked at it and thought, oh, wow, there's not supposed to be an E at the end of scar. And, and so for, for about half a day, there was a thing out there that said, that's my scare. Uh, but uh, some people, that's why you don't have your healing, because you're too scared to let God bless you. Oh, come on now. <laughs> but we're going to talk about Good Friday, that's my scar. And it's Easter Sunday morning, that's my cross. Easter Sunday night, that's my tomb. And in the last Sunday of the month, we're going to talk about That's My Jesus. And oh man, it's going to be a great, great, great month this month. But as I began to prepare, originally today you knew, I I told you I was going to preach a sermon called Churchish. And uh, that was going to be what I was going to preach today. And as I got into that series, that I realized that that was a series. I figured I could preach it in one Sunday, but we would be here for a week. And so I decided to divide it up over four Sundays. You can say thank you later, uh, but um, but uh, I uh, uh, and then God led me to this passage of scripture this morning and showed me my promise. And so I want you to open your Bibles with me, if you will. Amen. John chapter fourteen, beginning in verse number one. If you wonder what just happened, what just happened was we get excited when we open the Word of God in this house. Amen. Reading from the New King James Version of the Bible, it says this. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house were many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you right now, and we thank you, and we praise you for your power. Lord, I thank you, and I praise you for your anointing and for your grace. And Lord, I know that you have a word to share with your people today. You have a promise with which to excite our spirits today. And Lord, I ask that you would just pour out of your anointing. Lord, with the same zeal and fire that you poured this message into my heart, allow me to share it with everyone who hears this word today. And Lord, I thank you and I praise you for your power. And I thank you and I praise you for your promise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. As we look at this passage of Scripture, 
soon as I began to read it, many of you recognized it. Many of you quit looking at your Bible when I began to read this scripture and started quoting it yourself. We have preached about it. We have sung about it. We have we have meditated on it. It's one of those Bible verses. If you've been around church very long at all, you've heard this verse. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. I know this passage so much that even as I read it in the New King James Version, I am so tempted every time I read it. There ye may be also. It doesn't say ye here. It says you, but I'm so used to hearing it all of my life that I quoted in the first way that I heard it, which was King James. I, 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 here are my King James supporters. Amen. Praise God. And, and I get excited when I hear this passage. But I get more excited when I think about where it came from. If you look here, um, Jesus has brought them together and is getting ready to have the Last Supper with his disciples. Pretty much starting uh, in, in chapter 13, he's starting together, he's gathering them together. And for the next several chapters in the Bible, it is the last words of Christ. It is the last statements of God. Now, I don't know. I, I know I've been your pastor long enough that most of you I know fairly well, and I know that many of you have went through those goodbye moments with family and friends. And occasionally we have the blessing of being able to hear a true last word. When somebody gives you a message, my grandfather was sick to the point of death. And we were living in Arizona at the time, and he sent, couldn't really talk. He wrote a note, said, I need Ira Lee. That's my father. I need Ira Lee. They called Dad and said, he wants to see you. Dad is the oldest. Everybody said, you need to get here. He wants to tell his oldest son something before he dies. Dad gets on an airplane and flies from Phoenix to Dallas. Gets there, meets somber tones in the hospital. Everybody knows that Grandpa's about to give Dad his final words. And most of us, and I was just a young teenager at the time, we believe that once he got the message to Dad that that was it. Dad walked in the room, my grandfather with tubes and and cords all over him. Motion for a pencil and a piece of paper. And he wrote down what they thought would be his last words. Thankfully, it was not the, the sickness that killed him. 
That came years later. But what they thought was his deathbed, my grandfather wrote down a note to his oldest son and said, pick squash. <laughs> Dad looked at it, and my grandfather said, go pick the squash out of the garden before it goes bad. Called my dad from Phoenix, Arizona to pick the squash. Now, again, luckily that is not the, that's not the sickness that my grandfather died from. He lived about another five years after that. But I can tell you this, for years we had that note. My mom and dad still have it, I think, in a photo album. For years it was actually framed. In our family, of course, you understand where I get, get it now a little bit, but, you know, comedy is sort of a thing. And, 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 but it, it was an important part of who my grandfather was. And when I think about last words, I don't think about great uh, historical statements. I tend to think, pick squash. Uh, but Jesus has gathered his disciples together, and his intent is not to tell them to pick squash, but it's close. His intent is to tell them to cultivate the garden of faith that he's planted. Mm. Yes, your pastor just made pick pick squash evangelical. But he... He gathered them together to prepare them to do what he had prepared them to do. Pastor Brian Cutshaw preaches a great series of sermons on the children of Israel going into Egypt. And he, call, he calls it getting ready for, I'm getting ready for what God's been getting me ready for. God in everything in your life has been getting you ready to do something. But there comes a place where he really gets you ready to do what he's gotten you ready to do. He's, he finally says, listen, this is more than just something I've taught you. This is something that I've ingrained in you. And among the first words that he says here is, let not your heart be troubled. Now what he's giving them is a warning. It's about to get bad. It's, it's bad. Real bad. It, it, it's about to get bad. I've told you and I've told you and I've told you that I'm going to be killed for the gospel of Jesus, for the gospel. I'm going to be in the grave for three days and then I'm going to rise again. But you don't get it. So let me one more time give you a promise to tell you don't let your heart be troubled. So let me tell you what the hope is, what the peace is, what the power is, and what your promise is. As I begin to look at this three verses, I begin to see the greatest promise in my mind in the whole Bible. And that is the promise that Jesus is going to come back and take me with him. And, and, and I begin to see some things about my promise. The first thing that I see about my promise is that my promise gives peace. I get worried when I walk into the house of God and I look around God's people. Thank you, Jesus. Us Pentecostals, somewhere down the road, we decided it is our lot in life to suffer for Jesus. I'm just suffering for Christ. 
I, I, I don't, I, I don't see that. I see a, I see a Jesus that gives me a promise that starts with peace. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't, don't, don't let your life be caught up in fear and worry. I, I hear people talk about the end times. <laughs> there's going to be a mark of the beast and, there, and the monsters are going to come up. They're going to have 14,000 heads and all these eyes. And <laughs> we get all excited about blood moons. I mean, it just sounds scary. We have all this talk. When we talk about the end times, we have a tendency to make it sound like a horror story. Now, let me give you my caveat. Without Christ, it is a horror story. Let me, let me, let me, let me be clear. There is going to be a season of judgment. There is going to be a season of destruction. There's going to be a season of pain. But I thank God believe that while that's happening, I'm not only going to be in heaven at the, at the side of Jesus Christ, but the way I understand it, I'm going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and I don't just get to be in heaven, I get to be eaten. I bet there's some squash on that table too. But my promise isn't a promise of fear. Somewhere down the line, we have turned end time preaching, we have turned redemption preaching into being more about fear than understanding that God says, I've already got it taken care of. I've already paid the price. I've already done the work. Let not your heart be troubled. Quit walking around like you're drinking lemonade through a gas line. Somewhere we need to get a hold of the glory of God that comes from a peaceful heart. I attended a funeral yesterday. Some of you know Michael Doss. Used to pastor the Southside Church in Kansas City. Some of you have been a part of some of our district stuff. When we first started, when I first started as district overseer, he was pastoring at Southside. When I met Pastor Michael, him and his wife Renee, great people, loving people. They were tired. They were beat up. They were hurting. And there was a weight on their shoulders. I remember I had not known them very long, met with them a couple of times. And he come to me and he says, Pastor Tommy, I need to talk to you. He says, we feel like we're done. We need to step down from pastoring. The church had went down, was down, it was down to three or four people. And, and, and the weight was, was bearing on their back. And, and, and I told them, they had, they had pastored for three years simply because nobody else would go there to pastor. And it was widely known that if they left, the church would close. And he says, I, I, I don't want to see the church close. 
He said, but it's killing me. And I, I'll never forget, I said, I said, Pastor, I care more about you. I care more about you than a church. Oh, some, somebody going to get mad at me for saying that. But I'm going to tell you something. Until we start caring more about the people than we care about the, 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 the whatever you call it, the building, the, the facade, the entity, we're forgetting what the church really is. And he, in talking with me and talking with, with Bishop Powell, he did step down. We did close the church. Praise God, another church has bought that building and is moving in ministry there, and God is moving and blessing. And, and he went off and wound up in another church as just an attendee. I got the word a couple of weeks ago that his wife had gotten cancer. And in early treatments of cancer, she was in the hospital. They were gearing up for a long fight against cancer. And all of a sudden, a blood clot developed. In a matter of a couple of hours, it wasn't the cancer that killed her. It was a blood clot. And she was gone. I saw a few posts on Facebook from him. A distraught husband, as you could well understand. So yesterday, Beth and I went to her, funeral, her memorial service. I walked into a building, and he saw me from a distance. And this man that was going through the loss of his wife of, I want to say 40 years, 45 years, 40, 45 years. A man who was in the last two years is, saw a church close, been through pain and heartache, walked up to me and says, praise God, brother. And I looked at him. And you could see the grief, but you could see the peace. And he begins to share with me, and I watched him as he shook hands and hugged necks with people that were at that memorial service. And he was encouraging them, and he was lifting them up, and he was talking about the glory that she was experiencing. And that uh, he, one of the things he said to me that stuck in my mind, he goes, she's in glory. Now I just got to run to, his, to her side. I just don't want to go through death to get there. <laughs> and I thought, wow. You know, and, and, and he had such glory and such joy and such peace. You know why? Because his promise came with let not your heart be troubled. His promise doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what you're facing. It doesn't matter what you're seeing. What happens is when we understand that Jesus Christ is the power and the strength and the author and the finisher of our faith, we can go through his own death on the cross and know I still got a promise. I still got victory. I still have power. My promise comes with peace. My promise comes from faith. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. Have a little faith. Have you believed that God can save your sin? Then believe that God can heal your sickness. 
Have you believed that God can provide for you? Then understand he'll provide eternity for you. When we began to believe that God is able, God is powerful, God is creator, then we can walk with faith that moves mountains. We've got to have some faith, church. I can't see the answer to every situation. I know some of you think I'm the pastor. And so I know the answer to all the stuff. But sometimes I have to join with my brother and say, it's bad. Real bad. Sometimes you call me and ask me, how do I deal with this? And I go, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. How do I handle this? I don't know what to tell you, but I can't tell you this. God's got this. Somebody called me this week with a major issue, a major circumstance. They were fighting. And we talked for a few minutes. I said, I really hate these words, but I got to tell you, God's got this. It's like, well, why do you tell me that if you hate it? I said, because it's real and it's true. I understand sometimes we forget how powerful that really is. But when we understand, if you believe in God, believe also in me. When we understand faith, when we understand believing that if God can heal a headache, he can heal cancer. If God can give the preacher the right words to say in the pulpit, he can give you the right words to witness at Walmart. If we'll have a little bit of faith and understand that God has already orchestrated and ordained and laid out the plan, all we got to do is follow it. Many of you have seen on Facebook some of my posts about some of the meals I make now. I have become a home chef. We've been using a food service, a mail order food service called Home Chef, as a matter of fact. And they send me all the ingredients. And they send me a step-by-step recipe with pictures. And I will sit down... And I read what some chef had laid out as the order for making this dish. And then I'll read it one more time. And then I open my notebook up and I set it on my counter and I get all my ingredients out that they sent me. And I don't have to measure much because if you need a tomato, they send you a tomato. If you need half a cup of this, they send you half a cup of this. I don't have to worry about did I get enough, did I not get enough. And all I got to do is I got to trust that the chef that put this meal together knew how to make the meal. And if I do everything he said to do, I'm going to make the meal come out the way he said it was supposed to come out or she said it was supposed to come out. And over and over, I keep going, ooh, man, I made, I made honey, uh, hot honey salmon the other night. And ooh, it was good. I, I, I made, I made a, 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 a sirloin steak with a balsamic glaze, and oh, my word. 
it was, it was cooked almost perfectly medium. Maybe even mine was a little medium rare. Bess was a little medium uh, well because her steak was smaller than mine because I take the bigger ones. And, 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 and it melted in your mouth. The food that I've been cooking at home is so good that we were in Kansas City yesterday. And we said, you know what, we're going to go out to eat because you know how it is. When you live in Chillicothe, you go to Kansas City, you've got to go eat someplace that you can't eat here. And we're like, we're, we're going to go eat. And we said, but, you know, we really don't need to go to Cheddar's or some of the places that we normally go because we eat like that at home now. So instead we went to KFC, you know. It was much cheaper, and it was food we don't get at home. And, and, and I, I, I'm cooking these meals. And all I've got to do is follow the instruction. As long as I believe that the instructions know how to do it and I pay attention to them, it comes out good. Now, I made a dish. I think it was Thursday night, Friday night. And I was supposed to have some kind of, oh, it was a pasta dish. It was shrimp florentine. And I had had everything. Everything was going great. And I read the instructions but I didn't pay attention to him. And it told me to hold out a quarter cup of the water I'd boiled the pot in and take and pour half of that in my mix with the sauce to create the sauce and let it thicken. Somehow I got confused and I pulled out four cups of the water that I had poured and I poured a cup and a half to two cups of that water into my sauce. It never thickened up. Now let me tell you something. It's a picture of our life. We may trust that God can do it, but if we don't pay attention to what he tells us, we mess it up. See, my promise comes with faith. All I've got to do is do what Jesus said. And every time I do what you, if you believe in God, believe also in me. The why can you have peace? How can you know that I'm going to, I've got this? How can you know I'm going to take it? Just do what I tell you to do when I tell you to do it. I've already laid it out. I've, I've already know the plan. Yes, I, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. That doesn't mean that he doesn't change. That means that he is the same Jesus in yesterday, in today, and in tomorrow, all at one time because time doesn't matter to him. Understand that. The same Jesus that died on the cross is the same Jesus right now as he was then. There's no change. He already knows the end. It's already laid out. It's already taken care of. All we've got to do is walk in what he tells us to walk. My promise comes from faith. My promise comes, gives peace. It comes from faith. My promise has a home in my father's house or many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'd go to prepare a place for you. My promise has a home. Some of you, all you want in life is a home. When I got married, when I got engaged, I asked my wife, I said, what do you want? What do you want from our marriage? What is it that you're looking for? And she looked at me as sincerely and real as ever. And she says, all I want is a home. Now, somewhere I may have misunderstood that. We've been married 26 years, a uh, week after next, this month, 26 years this month. We've had 20 addresses in six different states. 
I call it exa- exorbitant giving. I, I mean, I have just went overboard. She says, I missed the point. I missed the concept. All she wanted was a home. Now, we may have had a lot of houses in a lot of states, but we've had a home. We've had a home. We don't have a home like you guys have. We, I can't imagine generations and generations all living in the same town. I've got one in Miami fixing to go out on the Caribbean again. I've got one in Tennessee that gets his first summer break from college, and he's already worked out not to come home, to go to Pennsylvania instead for the, for the summer. And, and, and my parents are, are, are five hours south of us. We, we've never been that. We've never been more than 24 hours away from, or closer than 24 hours to her folks. We, we, we don't have the kind of homes that you guys have, but we have a home. But let me tell you something. More than the home we have here, we have a home. I have a home that it doesn't matter where I go, what I do. It doesn't matter where I live on this earth. It doesn't matter where I bide the time of the, of the, of the shortness of this life. There is a place that I'm going to go home. Brother Mark sings a song I grew up listening to. Uh, 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 I've never been this homesick before. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where I've been or what I've done. There's going to come a day that I'm going to look up and I'm going to realize that the light's still on in the window, that that there's still people waiting on me, and I get to go into a home. My promise has a home. My promise tells me that I get more than what I have here. My promise tells me if I walk in peace, I'll obey him, I'll trust him. I get to walk in the victory and the power of an eternal home. That's my promise. But the greatest thing of my promise is my promise as a Savior. I almost reworded this and said my promise has a friend. Verse 3 says, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. I've got a promise that I've got a Savior that's not happy unless I'm with him. I I, I got a promise that when, when I look and he's not here, that he's just getting things ready. And he's going to come back and get me. While we were at this funeral yesterday, we ran into Brother James Ferguson, the pastor at Harvest Cathedral Independence. He was there as well. Brother James and his wife have been married for three years. Yesterday was the first day in three years that they didn't see each other. The first day in three years, according to his Facebook, that he didn't kiss his wife. I want to say, get ready, there will be more of those. Whether she's there or not. Uh, But I talked to him, he's like, oh, She's gone. She's not here. I can't. It's so weird. And and I'm like, newlyweds. (laughs) But you know, it's a picture where we need to be. My Savior has went and he's getting everything together. But he's coming back. And he's just not going to come back and say, Hi! It's going good. 
He says, but I'll come back and receive you unto myself. I'm going to come back and grab you. I'm going to come back and pick you up. I'm going to come back and, and I'm going to say, come on, come on, come on, come on. You may have been happy sitting over there. Well, well, maybe not. I see where you're sitting. But anyway, you, you, you may have been happy. He's not saying a word like I ain't saying a word. He, he may have been happy sitting over there. But when Jesus comes back, he grabs him and says, look, you're going with me. You're going with me. You can go sit down now. Go ahead. I ain't come picked you up yet. I ain't come picked you up yet. Let me tell you something. You know what our problem is? We've got too satisfied where we're at to longingly look to the Savior that's going to pick us up. We've got too satisfied in the world. I tell people all the time, I know, I know what it's like. I'm at a place right now, I'm like, I'm ready for God to come right now. See, I remember being 16 and thinking, or being 15 and thinking, God, I, I want you to come back, but can't. Can I learn to drive first? Let me, let me have a car. And 17 or 18, is like, God, I want you to come back, but I really would like to find my wife and get married. Really like to get married. And then I got married, and I was like, God, I want you to come back, but I'd love to have a kid. Then I had a kid, and I was like, God, can you take them and leave me? No. <laughs> God, I think you messed up the order somewhere. But um, I had my kids. And, and, and I remember, I honestly remember that. I remember that I got to the place, I was like, God, I know some of you may not get to experience this much, but I'm like, some of you ain't even looking forward to it. I love it. Like, God, I, I want you to come back, but I really, I want to get back to the day. It's just me and Beth. I want that empty nest. I want that place where it's just me and my wife. And we don't, we, don't ha- we, don't, we don't have to make sure the kids are doing this. And kids, we just, me and Beth. And I love it. I love it. And I can't wait till God heals her body. Because when God heals her body, I'm going to go buy another motorcycle. And once she's healed and I got another motorcycle, you'll see us when you see us. Because we're going to be paired up on that bike and we're going to be everywhere. And that was our plan. That was our plan the whole time I had motorcycles was when the kids were gone, we're gone. And, and man, we, we were excited. But now I'm at a place where I'm like, you know what? My boys are still ugly enough and single enough that I'm not really, don't have pictures yet of grandkids. I know, you know, some of you are grandparents here. I'm not old enough to be a grandparent yet. And, um, and, 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 and so uh, I have, have too much hair to be a grandparent going. Anyway, uh, but... Uh, but I, I, you know, I, that, that's not, that's not even, it's not in the, in the realm yet. And I'm like, you know what, God, I, I've got to do everything I want to do, but I can tell you what's going to happen. One of my boys are going to call me sometime the next couple of years and they're going to say, Ooh, I met somebody, uh, you know, and, and, and before I know it, I'm going to be sitting at their wedding. And once I get to one of my boys wedding, I'll be like, God, I want you to come back. But can I have a grandson first or a granddaughter first? Let me, let me spool a grandkid first. You know why? 
It's because we get comfortable here. Now, I understand that we've got to occupy until he comes, and there's nothing wrong with celebrating our, our, our marriages and our children and our grandchildren. We need to do that. We need to love them. But somewhere down the road, we need to understand that our promise has a Savior, and that Savior is more important than anything else. We need to get back... We've got to get back to a place that Jesus is more important than anything else in our life. We've got to get back to the place that going and worshiping and learning and, and celebrating Jesus in a house of God, forsaking not the gathering together of the saints, becomes more important than watching the football game. We need to get back to the place that Jesus is more important than going to the lake. Oh, I got news for you. Oh, I need to go spend time with my family. I believe that with all of my heart. But when you look up and your kids no longer go to church because all they saw growing up was that the lake was more important than the house of God. Don't come to me and tell me the church has lost my children. The church didn't lose the children. The parents lost the children. I got news for you. We've got to get back to a place that our Savior, we understand what a Savior is. A Savior is somebody that saves us. If you were dying on the side of the road and somebody rescued you, you would have a debt to them. You ever seen those stories where somebody received a transplant from somebody else and they go and they meet with their family and they talk about all the appreciation they have? You ever seen, maybe you've been a part of military life where maybe in a foxhole or in a war zone, somebody literally saves somebody else's life and you see a bond between them. But yet we treat Jesus like he's a back burner. I'll serve him when I get a chance to. He needs me. I got news for you. You didn't save Jesus. Jesus saved you. Jesus is love. Jesus is mercy. He, he wants you to serve him. He wants you to, but he doesn't need you. God called I was trying to get the name right, and I can't pull it up from my head, but God called Abram's father to go to the land of Canaan. And he stopped along the way, and his wife died. So God said, okay, Abram, you take his place. Go back and read it. You'll understand that the original call, Abraham went as the son, but along the way, Along the way, Dad got distracted. And God said, now, Abram, it's yours. You know why I, th- you know why I say that? You think God needs you so much? If you don't do it, God will do- bring up somebody else. Mordecai Kai told Esther, if you don't say a word right now, God will rise up deliverance for the children of Israel from someplace else. But you and your family will die. You know what Mordecai told Esther? God don't need you. God gave you an opportunity to do something. He doesn't need you. But we need him. 
Because without him, we have no hope. Without him, we have no future. Without him, we have no, we have no life, no eternity. My promise, my promise is that my Savior is building my home so that we can be together. That's my promise. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to fret about it. I, I, don't, I don't have to go around going, oh, I don't know what's going to happen next. Oh, I've been there. You, I'm, I'm about to be 50 years old this year. I wish it was 15. 50. I'm about to be 50 years old this year. I'm supposed to have a good plan on how I'm going to retire. I know how I'm going to retire. Nice cardboard refrigerator box. That's, that's, <laughs> I'm going to pastor. I, I'm going to pastor till I paid off the the boys' school loans, which will be about I'll be about ninety seven. I'm going to have to learn not to pay so much. Or I'm going to have to get me a power wheelchair, one of the two. Just <laughs> I, I don't have any hope of a future. I, I have no retirement. I have no. I don't know what, what those are. And there are times I go, I don't know what I'm going to do. How, how am I going to make it? And then I remember, I've got a Savior. I've got a Savior that's provided houses for me before. I've got a Savior that's provided money for me before. i to treat my money. Oh, come on now. And I start understanding that if I'll trust him and I'll do everything he says, He's already prepared my life. I just have to walk it out. My promise is that I have a future. For I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah 29, 11. Let me tell you something. We need to get to a place that we start celebrating the promise of our future. There's going to be seasons that that future is going to be shrouded in darkness. It's going to be covered by loss. But that doesn't take away the future. It doesn't take away the hope. This morning as we close this service. I want to give you an opportunity. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Tommy, I've got a need and it's messing with my heart. I I need physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing, relational healing, financial healing. And I'm worried about it. And I need that promise that says, let not your heart be troubled. I need to remember that if I believed in God for anything, I can believe in God for everything. I need to remember that I've got a home. I've got a Savior. I need, I need a promise that brings peace. I need a promise that brings power. If you've got any need at all, and you're ready to believe God to be the Savior to change your situation, I want to ask you to get out of your seat as I pray. Come to the front. I'm going to anoint you with oil as we close this service. And I'm going to believe that God is going to do the miraculous in your life today.
as I pray, come. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you right now. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for your power. I thank you and I praise you for your anointing. Lord, whatever the need is, physical, spiritual, emotional, financial, relational, Lord, I want you to give freedom and power and confidence for people to come and let not their heart be troubled. They've believed in God. Let them believe in your power. Lord, for you, for in your Father's house are many mansions. And if that wasn't true, you would have told us. And you've gone away to make a way for us, to fix things for us. But if you go away, you will come again to receive us unto yourself. So that where you are, we will be also. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.